You literally have a freaking time machine. You can go anywhere you want at any time you want, and you go 24 hours before doomsday. You are a special kind of stupid. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 144 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, killer robots, and more. I am TJ, the John Connor figure and leader of the Rebellion Against the Machines. I am referring, of course, to the original and pure John Connor. And joining me today is the T-800 bodybuilding Terminator. He's a, he's a pretty big guy. It is Joe Darnell. How are hey, you, TJ. Joe? I'm doing great. I'm, How are you? I, 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 I can't believe you didn't do the German accent, man. I set you up for this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Or I Aus- Austrian. I think, he's, I think he's Austrian, for the record. Actually. I just want everybody to know I, I consider myself more the liquid metal type. I just, I'm just going to give you an ugly stare for the whole <laughs> podcast. You know, the original thing that I wrote had you as the T-1000 liquid metal the Terminator, but I couldn't come up with anything. I'm like, it didn't seem as cool. Like anybody who thinks of the Terminator. No, it isn't as cool. The, when you think of the Terminator, you think of the big, hunky you know, uh, really? Austrian, uh, <laughs> well, it depends on which movie you're talking about. I think that the metal bot was a lot more interesting in the second film. Sure. Well, we'll talk about this more later, but I definitely think the second film is the best film in the franchise and that remains unchanged. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Hmm. Um, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing great, TJ. How are you? I'm doing well. My, my legs are really, really sore. Um, okay. I didn't need to know that. <laughs> Why not? No, really. Well, what's the matter with your legs? Well, so, um, since we've moved, since uh, my family and I have moved, we're in a much better neighborhood where I have uh, oh. streets and room to, uh, like, you know, just neighborhood streets and not a big highway. So uh, you're just wandering the streets. So I'm riding a bike you every morning. You moved into a new neighborhood. You're off to the corner somewhere in the cul-de-sac I, I and all am, your I, stuff all right, is sitting right. on the lawn and you're just walking <laughs> the streets. I'm up to 20 miles a day on my bike. Um, in the mornings, I get up at six, and oh, I, you mean like on a real bike? Yes, a bicycle. You know, it's a okay, no, and this isn't like the, the the hypothetical scenario. No, no, no. This is a real thing. TJ on a bike. Yes, oh, I'm getting, sounds like a, like a movie. So my entire youth was like basically lived. I lived on a bike, <laughs> and I got everywhere on a bike, and and I'm I'm happy to be back on the bike. So uh, where oh. I lived before wasn't conducive, and this is so, and I'm getting back in shape and losing some weight, and it's all good. Okay. Welcome back to the great outdoors. But my legs are really changed. I wake up in the morning and I say to my legs, don't be jelly, but it's, it doesn't work anymore. Sorry, that, that joke fell flat. <laughs> <laughs> These days I do all of my exercise indoors. I'm using the, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm mostly using isometric workouts and then my coach has me lifting a few weights. Uh, I'm not going to brag. I'm going to turn a blind eye to it. So you, kind of you are the bodybuilding T800 Terminator. Uh, I'm getting there. <laughs> you know, my, I had just have to re- align my reality with my mindset. And yes, yes, my mindset is that I am. I have all that muscle. Well, the question I, is, I put will on you all that be muscle back? on on the outside of the Joe within? There's ah, not a robot okay. here. Okay, is your smile very creepy? No, th- there's a Joe within here. <laughs> okay, 
Joe has uh, the best smile. Okay, okay. It's not, uh, I mean, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay, he didn't have such a great smile in that movie. <laughs> uh, which movie? Yes. Anytime he smiled, he, it was this, but they definitely played it up in, in the movie we're about to review, Terminator Genesis, with that, that weird fake smile that he does, but... There are things to be said about his um, his shticks, which we'll get to later. Okay. Hey, Joe. Mm-hmm. Should we should we talk about the Suicide Squad thing? Oh dear. Why why did you have to bring that up? Uh, okay, sure. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Tackle it. All right. What do you gotta, What do you got to say about this, TJ? I, I, I'm I'm afraid of where this might be going. All right. Well, let's let's find out what we're in for here. Take us some work, but I finally have them. The worst of the worst. Let's just say I put him in the hole and threw away the hole. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. I want to assemble a task force of the most dangerous people on the planet who I think can do some good. They're bad guys. Exactly. So that was from the trailer, the first look trailer for the Suicide Squad. Joe, I um, I fully admit that I am having a hard time getting interested in anything DC is doing right now. They have really thrown a monkey wrench in my DC comic uh, watching with Man of Steel. Like, they've just totally <laughs> turned me off. And, and everything that they're doing right now just looks so bad, just looks so bad. And I, I think this falls right in, in line with that. I think there are a lot of people who are trying to be hopeful about this and who are talking, oh, no, it's going to be good. Suicide Squad is good. And, like, I can't find anything about this trailer that appeals to me in any way. Um, I, I think when uh, when the, the person in the trailer said uh, that they've assembled the worst of the worst, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I have to agree. I'm not actually interested in much of anything that DC Comics is doing right now. You know how there is a general consensus among some of the the audience that they're just done with superhero movies in general. And I don't fall into that camp. I feel like, no, me yes, either. we've had, uh, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that about you, TJ. That's why I'm on your show. <laughs> um, and you know, there, I understand why people have got to that fatigue point already, but you know, the, I think that if you don't like the comic book movies, all you have to do is not watch them, you know, just sure. turn a blind eye, just sure. ignore the press about them on the internet. You don't have to watch these trailers on YouTube. People, you can stop watching it stop re- refreshing the page people and you don't have to watch that trailer again but you know for the record um the 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 movies they call superhero movies that i am least interested in are coming through dc comics yes and everybody knows already why we talked about this a dozen times it's just that it's really aggravating as someone that reviews pod i mean uh, reviews reviews podcasts well, that's what comes next. <laughs> As someone who reviews movies, that there's this expectation, oh, well, if you like, you know, review movies, you must like all movies and you must love like just watching everything in theaters, right? You watch it all, don't you? And I, I don't watch it all, TJ. No, no, Last far from it. Neither of us do. And if if there was any of the public popular films that I would like to skip, it's getting to the point that I would like to write off DC Comics because – 
Well, I, I'm just ready for Disney to buy them and to like reboot the entire machine and like cleanse them and wash all their sins away, all of their cinema sins away and start from scratch because we need to go back to like um, Christopher Reeves days or ah, shoot, I don't know what, maybe um, something that is like the best of Richard Donner meets Christopher Nolan. Boom. We've got like the best superhero Superman Batman sandwich. That'd be great. Yeah, although I don't know how you would do a Christopher Nolan meets Richard Donner or whatever because they're just so different. And honestly, I love Christopher Nolan's interpretation of Batman, but it only works for Batman. And I, I don't want his interpretation. And what, what what we're getting is like a mashup of of we're mashing some Christopher Nolan into the as as the putty that holds everything together with uh, with Man of Steel, or making it dark and gritty and. And I, I, honestly, I, I would much rather have <laughs> Richard Donner's Superman back uh, and Christopher Reeve. Um, although I, I, you know, one of the ten people on the planet that likes Superman Returns. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. We're not going to have that vision of Superman anymore. Did we ever review that film? N- no, we haven't. Not, good, not good, to my good. knowledge. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> I don't know if we've done the original Superman either, though, and that's one that deserves being reviewed. But we'll maybe circle around to that. We have some things that are maybe we can do stuff like that a little later. Uh, and you know what? We actually have another piece about superheroes. Do you want to jump to this? Well, not really, because I, I had some things I wanted to say about DC <laughs> okay, Comics. So, yeah, yeah. so um, DC Comics. Um, I, I actually think they're doing much better work on TV right now. Like, I'm really uh, mostly very happy with Flash. I'm kind of happy with uh, Arrow. Mm, um, aren't I'm, they in between seasons for, for th- both of those shows? That's correct. We're in between seasons for most shows And you shows were happy right with the finales for the most part. Yes. I, I think the Arrow suffered from uh, um, story fatigue in the third season and where they, they felt like they needed to do things that they didn't have to do. Mostly, I feel like if, if the season had been about eight episodes shorter, it would have been a great season, but they got kind of mired down with stuff. So, so but, there's only been but, three seasons of Arrow? That's correct. They're going it into the It feels like so many more. Really? Yeah, it does. I mean, it feels like I've heard about Arrow all my life at this point. Ah, uh, no, no. Only three seasons. Uh, and it's a good show for the most part. It does some annoying things. I know Fizz has sworn off of it because of, of – and with legitimate complaints about the way they've uh, kind of made one of the characters, um, you, you know, one of the female characters uh, not a good role model. And and all these sorts of things. That's fine. And and Flash has its eccentricities too, although I enjoy it more. It's a little bit lighter show in tone. So I like what – I kind of like what DC's doing here. It's a completely – what's different about it from Marvel is their TV universe is completely disconnected from what they're doing in the movies here. Like Suicide Squad features some of the same people that we've seen in Arrow, but it's not connected at all. It's not the same actors. It's not the same anything, not the same universe. So um, it's that's that's a little frustrating. So the other thing that I wanted to say about Suicide Squad is I just don't understand why I want to be interested in all the villains. And and they, they are villainous and everybody's villainous. And like even the people who are like they're they're conspiring in this trailer, like, oh well, they're all villains, so if anything goes wrong, we have the blame built in. And it's like, I just don't understand what I'm supposed to be interested in here. I don't get it. I don't get it. I have a problem with it in general just because there's a lot of people who like to revel in what the bad guys are doing. It's it's entertaining to watch because it's more ridiculous. It's more sensational. It's more exciting. It's more thrill-seeking. And this idea that you know, as you're watching bad guys getting away with things, you kind of vicariously can appreciate ooh, what that must feel like. Ooh, I can kind of see how that would feel if I had that kind of power and control over my life and can just choose to do whatever the crap I want. And I think that that's the leeway that people want when they go to see a film like this. And then there are the curiosity seekers that are more like, 
just looking for something that would um, you know kind of scare them, make them jump in their seats. And I'm, I'm not interested in that either. So I, I can see where this is going to appeal to a lot of people who say, did you see what they did? When, mm, 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 and I'll be like, no, I didn't because I don't. And I'd be happy to leave it at that. Yeah, I can. Can I also just say, Jared Leto's Joker terrible, terrible. Like I, um, I think the Joker is always going to. I have to say though, TJ, there have been so many different interpretations of the Joker at this point that it doesn't. It's it's like a joke to even criticize any given one of them because the Joker can be whatever they want him to be. Now it's like they've they've bent the that that like canon model of this is what i think the joker is he's essentially like the jack nicholson no he's not the jack nicholson was a riff off of a very different kind of joker from a television show who was a very different kind of riff off of the joker from the comic books so really you wind up with like this this attitude of well, anything goes whatever the content creators want to do for this generation they can do it so i mean continue though but i just keep in mind like I have a frustration like, you know, when all the Disney characters, there's like 50 different varieties of Mickey Mouse. And as you go through the years, at one point he couldn't talk. At one point he was more like a mouse. Now he's more like a human being. Now he wears pants. It used to be he didn't wear a shirt, but now he wears all kinds of clothes. And it goes on and on. And it's like his color changes. His eyes change. Oh, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Like at one point they're going to probably just like remove his tail. And uh, it, that just <laughs> drives me nuts. You have feelings about these things. I have feels. Yes, all the feels. I, I feels a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, Jared Leto's Joker looks terrible to me. But I think, to, to be fair, I think that Joker in a post-Heath Ledger Joker world is always was always the first time it's been done since was always going to be hard to pull off. But I just don't think that this is the right direction for this. I, I, no, but what would you do though with a villain-based movie? Do you see them actually like taking the the perspective of the villains in a traditional story where they're competing against the traditional heroes? I or don't do you know. do you just accept this idea that they would have their own story and arc? I don't know. I don't know. And I do don't. you think that this means that they're going to merge the Suicide Squad story franchise? With some future Justice League franchise. Oh no, this is definitely after- part. This is definitely part of the same universe. Like uh, Ben is? Affleck is billed as Batman. Oh, sick. Yes, Ben Affleck is billed as Batman, and they're definitely it's part of the shared universe that they're doing here with the John, Don, with the Justice League stuff. Um, so that's definitely a thing. There, there is some things that I'm looking forward to. Jai Courtney is not one of them, and we'll discuss why as we get into Terminator Genesis. Margot Robbie has been a fantastic actress, from what I can tell. I've been impressed with the things I've seen her in, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see what she brings to this film. Uh, I, I continue to maintain, as much as I am not looking forward to anything DC is doing, that I think Ben Affleck will actually be a decent Batman. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what he brings to this film. Will Smith as Deadshot actually sounds really fun. Um, and you know, a lot of people have been talking about Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, and that could be interesting. Okay. So, so we're talking about Batman v Superman. No, now, we're right? talking about ju- uh, suicide squad. I haven't changed the subject. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought, I thought you were talking about Batman and, uh, Ben Affleck and are they, are you saying that, I'm saying any of that Ben Affleck in suicide squad? Ben Affleck as Batman slash Bruce Wayne is in suicide squad. Oh, that's dear. what I'm saying. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's how I know that the the that well, that's one of the ways I know that the universe is connected. Mm. <sighs> yeah, I, it, I, it, not that the universes are connected, but it's the same universe. Correct, it is the same universe. We should move on. Why not? 
We should talk about something you're going to hate, Joe. You're going to hate oh, dear. this. You are going to you know, hate I don't actually so know much. what I'm in for here. So when I saw your marker, I was just like, oh, I'm going to distance myself from this and wait for so TJ Joe, to introduce the topic. So, Joe, do we know what happened following the events of Return of the Jedi? We already know what happened, don't we? Well, prophecies state that there would be Darth Vader's daughter having twins, that Luke would end up training some other Padawan learners, that he'd create a new kind of Jedi council, that the Empire officially fell when the Emperor died and basically all the stormtroopers killed themselves. (laughs) So here's the thing. I've, I've read a few of these novels about what happened immediately after Return of the Jedi. But as we know... Um, all those novels have now been characterized as legends of the Empire. They're not official canon anymore now that Disney is the the runner of things here. And so uh, now we need to know, in, in the, the days and the months leading up to The Force Awakens, which happens approximately 30 years after Return of the Jedi, we might need to want, want a little bit of backstory about in this canon, this this now declared new canon and, and storyline. So we need to know... Um, uh, what is happening between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And so uh, uh, in March, Disney announced they would release a series of books called Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, which would fill in the gap uh, through a mix of novels, comics, children books, young adult stories, uh, all considered official Star Wars canon. So the article says, Now Penguin Random House has released a first preview excerpt of another book in the Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, uh, Chuck Wenig's Star Wars Aftermath. Tells the story of what happened after the conclusion of Return of the Jedi. It also apparently it is also apparently the first book in a series called Star Wars Aftermath Trilogy. All right, so what do you think, Joe? What do you think about this? You know, I'm no authority on Star Wars canon, TJ, but I'm really kind of bummed out by the, at this point. Um, I, I kind of know what you're trying to say that they're writing off the Timothy Zahn series. I didn't say they were writing it off. It the, still the, exists. The, you all, you, no, no, no. It's the, the book exists, and yeah, you can buy a, a used copy on Amazon. But that doesn't mean that they're respecting it in the movie franchises, the video games, the comic books yet to be made. Of course, you know it just uh, it goes on and on. It, you know what they're going to do too, TJ. At this point, I have no faith in what they're doing with the Star Wars expanded universe. What I expect them to do in, is in fifteen years' time, they're just going to go back and start making movies that fill in the gaps between the original trilogy and the trilogy they're making now, and they're going to wipe the slate clean of anything they write in these books that are coming out now. So none of this really matters anymore. It was just when I was a kid and I believed in Santa Claus that I cared about what they were doing in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. See, I don't think that's exactly true what you're saying. The idea is that it is canon. That's the idea. Like the keepers of the canon are saying this is canon. The the books were never – I mean they were written by various people. And yes, George Lucas had a little bit to say about it, but it wasn't ever like this thing that was well shepherded and guided. So, you think so? Yeah, I you think say that. the idea uh, I, I remember, is that this I is canon. I disagree. At the, at the time, the public perception was these had George Lucas's blessing. The you public know, um, perception was, yes. And, and, and to well, be fine, fa- screw it. They can rewrite history if they want. We've seen some revisionist history before. Ah, uh, Joe, Joe. You, you're just not going to be satisfied. Uh, I, I'm no, I get the, no satisfaction. The thing, that, the thing that you enjoyed is not gone. It's all still out there. It's, it's, it, would it, be like, it exists, but I'm told that it's a myth. It's more of a myth than Star Wars because, itself is. Because before it was so real. It was so real. It, yeah, it, it's happened. the myth within the myth, which means it's canceled. Uh, okay. So so that's a thing that's happening is they're writing books that fill in the stories between now and then. I don't, I don't think the, I'm going to get around to reading any of this, but it sounds interesting and intriguing. Yeah, me. no, I appreciate what they're doing for the uh, readers today, you know, because like kids are reading books, you know, left and right. It's like, uh, uh, I assume you're being sarcastic. 
Yes. <laughs> so this is going to make a world of difference to everybody and I understand that this is going to be the next craze. People aren't even going to bother to watch the movies. I mean they're going to be playing Minecraft and reading these books. Uh, OK. Well, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I would be interested – like if I could get these on audiobook, I would have more time for them that way. I, I might – as I'm driving or, or, or riding a bike, uh, I may uh, maybe interested maybe. I don't know. You know, that's actually a good idea, uh, although I just don't make much time for you know novels and you know generally fiction and you know books. And yeah, like. I don't really either. There's uh, – like the most fiction I've ever gotten into of this sort would be some Star Trek novels and I've by far not read the vast majority of them. I've just read a few handful here and there that I've enjoyed. Mm. Did you read any of the novelizations of the other Star Wars movies? Uh, I have not read novelizations of the Star Wars movies. I've only read a couple of other books post-Jedi. But uh, okay. like, like one of them had to do with uh, uh, spirits running machines and being trapped. And I think they called it entechment or something like that. So that was an interesting concept. Mm, but that um, wasn't canon. Don't worry about that. Yes, it was. That was the same canon than anything else that, you know, like Timothy Zahn had written. <laughs> That's what you think, TJ. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I read the original novelizations of the movies, and I only read uh, the prequel. Uh, what was it? The Phantom Menace uh, novel uh, of what? the prequels. Oh, what's wrong with you? Why would you read what? that? Why, Why would, would I read that? that? Yes. Believe it or not, I was actually still a youngster when that movie came out, and I was actually hoping that the novel would be better than the movie. <laughs> so you got you got to view it like a uh, the eleven year old version of myself did that. The movie was lacking and I recognized it at the time, but I didn't know why and I went to the novel hoping that it would be better than the film. I assume you were sadly super disappointed. I was mostly disappointed. There was one extra scene in the novel where Anakin uh, was basically lost in a sandstorm. He was cut off from civilization for a few days. He got lost and while wandering around in the sandstorms, he came upon a uh, what was it? One of the sand people that was injured and dying, and he nursed him back to health. And so it was sort of this uh, little goody two shoes, goody Samaritan. Well, that, uh, that makes him that makes him just uh, annihilating all those sand people later so much more weird. Though. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. But <laughs> it, it was the idea that he played, you know, compassion uh, for the sand people, and and then they had respect for this little boy that showed them mercy, and yeah. Whatever. That, also that was makes, like the only contribution. That also makes his transition to Darth Vader that much more unbelievable. Like, like the whole the whole problem <laughs> with the, I mean, oh, we, we can't go down this road. The whole problem with the prequels is like one of the big problems with the prequels. I should say is that Anakin's transition is I'm good, I'm good. Ooh, I'm a struggling teenager, but I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm evil. <laughs> I'm evil, and I'm gonna kill everybody. Like I just. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, should we move on? <laughs> yeah, you can edit that out right with the prequels. You know, we, we don't even need to talk about why, that. We why can would take we, that all why, out why would we do that? <laughs> it's the prequels. Why are we talking about movies that we don't believe in? They don't, we, they don't exist. They're not a thing. That's right. we, we don't believe in them. We have religious <laughs> uh, issues with them. That's right. So Peter Pan reboots, <laughs> totally different. Yes, yes. Let's, uh, let's find out what we're in for. I'm going to tell you a story about a boy who would never grow up. About the pirate who wished to catch him. About the island where fairies roamed. But this isn't the story you've heard before. Because sometimes, friends begin as enemies, and enemies begin as friends. Sometimes, to truly understand how things end, 
We must first know how they begin. Welcome to Neverland! Are you brave, Peter? I try to be. We have an ancient prophecy from when the fairy kingdoms reigned on this island. The prophecy tells of a boy who would lead an uprising against me. A boy who could fly. So that was from the trailer for the upcoming pan. What do you think, Joe? Okay, a couple of thoughts here, TJ. They're starting to come together for me. Number one, I'm happy that this is not coming from Disney. This is coming from Warner Brothers. Is it? And I can yeah, respect them yeah. for attempting their own special fairy tale movie. And you know they've they've probably done that in their fair share over the years. I, I can't think of the other fairy tales that they have approached off the top of my head. But the idea that this is coming outside of Disney does offer a fresh perspective that they they don't have to be um uh, you know uh, sticking to the traditional Disney ilk. So one part of me feels like what is this? Did Disney like try to riff off of the Pirates of the Caribbean and Narnia and a bunch of other ideas and putting it into the Neverland mythology? And that's not what they did at all. This is Warner Brothers saying, "Hey, we can do this too." And we can be creative too, and we can give it a new passionate take as well. And I, I feel like it's just a huge blockbuster mashup. It looks like the Pirates of the Caribbean. It looks like, uh, well, you know what I'm saying. Yes. And and here, here's my bigger problem with this, TJ, is that we've seen so many trailers for this movie at this point. I think we could put together the entire film. <laughs> it's true. It really is true. I think we we know essentially what's going on. I, I'm still having trouble getting past the casting of Rooney Mara as an American Native American Indian. Yeah, it's no, not, still not working no. for me. Uh, uh, maybe we're supposed <laughs> to believe that they're not Native American Indians. They're just Indians, they're just whatever they are. Indians. They're magic people. It's fine. It's all. It's, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Um, they're evolved fairies. <laughs> yes, of the ancient people. I I still don't like. I'll watch it. I I still don't get why this movie exists. I I don't understand where where it fits in the universe. Why it's a thing. Um, uh, money, TJ. Money, 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 money. It's all it's about. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh so that being yeah. said, I I think they're having a lot of fun doing it. I I, I mean, it doesn't look like they're going into it with a sense of artifice, like they're just trying to milk a cow. It looks like they're really trying to have fun with the thing. This was shown off at Comic-Con and that means they're trying to appeal to a very a very geeky audience and that's that's kind of cool. And you can do a lot with Peter Pan. I think you can get away with Peter Pan um, mashups and change-ups just because – well, that has sort of been the tradition of Peter Pan stories over the years. Like there has never been a hard set in stone interpretation that even the original author stuck by because you know during the, his day – they were already turning it into stage performances and stuff like that. So it seemed like, you know, at the very beginning, you know, for instance, Peter Pan was played by a woman. And, yes. you know, if you if you had to have everything quite literal about your reenactments, then that couldn't have happened. But, uh, you know, for practical reasons and to have a, a, you know, a beautiful voice that could hit like all the musical numbers, they, they wanted a voice talent, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of milking a cow, Joe, uh, the cash cow, so to speak. Did you know that Disney is developing an Aladdin prequel called Genies? Uh, <sighs> trying to explain where Robin Williams, I mean the genie came from. Let me go get my warm milk and you can tell me about this. <laughs> so, uh, boy, D- Disney's really ha- hammering on the spinoffs right now. I mean, Tinkerbell 
is getting a spinoff. Cinderella's Prince is getting a spinoff. Now Aladdin's Genie is getting a spinoff. I mean, what what kind of a world are we living in here? I don't know. And it's going to be live action. Like, how do you do a big blue egg shaped genie as live action? I do not understand this. I don't understand what is happening here. <sighs> well, playing the mouse's advocate for a second here, <laughs> I I would say that Disney's business model has made it quite clear that they're going to continue to expand on their franchises that are well-established, their best moneymakers. They're not going to have Cinderella's castle in Disney World for a little while and replace it with another castle completely unrelated just to keep things fresh and new and completely different and mm-hmm. original. You know, they're, they're going to return to their roots and they want children today to have some – to have their movie. So you, on the one hand, you can be very cynical about it and just say that this was a business decision made by corporate executives that just said, we want money, 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 money. And I don't think that that's what happened here. I think that what's honestly happening is that some of the creative people said, you know, the reason I work at Disney is because I fell in love with the movies I grew up with in the late 80s and 90s. And now, you know what I really want to do? Look at what I have in my notebooks and journals and stuff I made in college and high school. I, I drew the heck out of the Disney uh, genie and I, I just love this guy. I love oh, this I, character. I, I love and I this the idea. And, you know, I and, love and, him but, a lot. You know, and with the realization that they already have set plenty of precedent, TJ, that they remake all the things, I think that there are people like John Lasseter – that would like to put their their mark on the Disney Universe properties and say, if we are going to reboot all the things, we should attempt to do them excellently. I'm not saying that they always win, that they always pass, that they're always successful, but I think that they generally think they're doing this for with good intentions. Now this is the part where you can say that the road to hell is paid with good intentions. Joe, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. I knew it. I knew you were going to say that, TJ. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't care. I, I, I don't want any part of this. I, the genie and Robin Williams are inextricably, in, in, inextricably linked. Uh, Aladdin 2 is inextricably. Inextricably. The, um, the uh, Aladdin 2 did really poorly because they got Homer Simpson to voice the genie, and that was that was sacrilege. And I, uh, I'm not interested in this. I don't care. And especially like, like live action, like Aladdin is animated. The genie is a big blue egg shaped, you know, thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't want this. Don't, do not want, do not want. And we were missing Robin Williams. I mean, what did, well, I mean, I know with these live action adaptations that they're not using original cast from cartoons, but what is their new take on it? Like, mm. Most of their live adap- uh, live, blah, 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 blah. live adaptations have been like reflections of the cartoon, you know, films. You know, so that the Cinderella film wasn't all that different from the original film. It wasn't like an origin story to Cinderella that had nothing to do with mice and you know carriage rides and a big ball, the Prince's Castle. They actually told the exact same story. So what do you do with a a Genesis story about a genie that uh, doesn't exist? I don't I don't get it. That that's what that's what's mystifying me. I'm disappointed in that aspect. That they're that they're digging too deep. They're they're looking for originality in the wrong places. But then again, they're going to come up with this movie and then we're going to say this is what we got instead of Tron 3. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. <clears throat> Well, speaking of being mystified at how studios operate, Joe, 
Did you know that The Amazing Spider-Man 3 was going to be even more ridiculous than The Amazing Spider-Man 2? We can we can start saying our things. We can <laughs> we can definitely be grateful. I am so glad this didn't happen. So the guy who played Gwen Stacy's father, George Stacy, the uh, uh, police force captain. Um, yeah, we saw him at the, at the end of the first film saying, Peter, leave my daughter alone. Yes, That's yes. the heroic thing to do. Don't have love. Don't have fun. Don't live a life. Don't love my daughter. She loves you, but I don't care. Yes, yes. So he said, the actor said that he was disappointed and because he's totally selfish and greedy. He said, I came back briefly in 2 and possibly The Amazing Spider-Man 3. There was this idea at one point that Spider-Man would be able to take this formula and regenerate the people in his life that had died. So there was this discussion that Captain Stacy would come back even bigger in episode three. So I was like, let's go. And I'm like, uh, I am so, so, so glad this didn't happen. Can you imagine, Joe? Can you imagine? I think that we would have been saying that Super uh, the uh, the other Spider-Man 3 was looking pretty good at that point. I See, I don't hate Spider-Man 3 as much as most people. The original, the real Spider-Man 3. Well, saying you don't hate it as much as most people means you still hate it. So, like, um, the first two Spider-Man films, I would probably give four and four and a half stars, respectively. I don't think we've ever reviewed them, and I can't remember if I've officially done that, but that's what I'm I don't I'm think we did. And then, and then, so Spider-Man 3, I'd probably give, like, three and a half stars. So, it's not terrible. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then any amazing Spider-Man film is under two and a half stars. Can, can we step back to the other Spider-Man film? Can I just ask one question? You may. Did you care at all about the black suit? Did you have any precursor knowledge before going into the <sighs> no, film? No, and that's why I think that the third film is not as good as the <sighs> whole uh, Venom storyline didn't didn't gel well for me. Okay, but people who knew about those things were more frustrated with the film. Mm. Yeah, okay. like me, I really am. I am not much of a fan for what they've done in recent decades for Marvel characters, but I love what they did with the black suit. I love what they did with Venom, and they just butchered it in the movie. Well, you know, you got to remember that uh, Sony and Marvel are not really the same thing. Nope. So anyway, I'm really glad that uh, Sony went running to Marvel and said, we can't do this. <laughs> We're going to make start making people come back from the dead. you got to help us. <laughs> so um, Sony's like, we're out of ideas. Yes. We're it's going like we, crazy. We li- there is literally nobody else in the Spider-Man universe we can use, so we got to bring back Captain Stacy. <laughs> Just like, uh, you guys? <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's, it's so uh, bad. Dude. I'm so glad this is not happening. That's all I want to say. I want to move on. You put something in the show outline that I just now seeing. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm proud to come across this. The, um, that there is a back to the future 30th anniversary Blu-ray set. That's going to come inside now, of a flux capacity. Are, are we not going isn't there something in our contracts that says we can't talk about back to the future without Chad being present? Um, I'm sure he's listening to us right now, wherever he is and in spirit and truth, he's with us. (laughs) So back to the future, uh, the 30th edition, 30th anniversary Blu-ray set is inside of a flux capacitor. So are they like time traveling like right now, Joe? Yeah, pretty much. The, the Blu-rays are coming from the past to the future to be given back to us in the present of the future past. Now, when you say these films are on Blu-ray, are they they're, – they're not like monkeying with them or changing them. They're the original. They're the real McCoy, right? Yeah, yeah. They're going to give you those original movies. They're going to give you a booklet with you know production pictures and other breakdowns, interesting making of. It's going to be on the DVD – or Blu-ray, excuse me. And they're also going to throw in um, bonus cartoons, which I could care less about. Yeah, I don't um, care. I, I actually watched a little bit of those. 
back in the day. And I remember getting up super early on Saturday mornings to watch them when they were brand new. I watched a few animated back to the futures. And I got to say, even at the time I was like, what, (laughs) what is this? This is dumb. Even dumber than the ride at universal studios. Dumb. Okay. But yeah, the, the box set actually looks pretty good. I mean, I, I don't think that this is the best incarnation of a flux capacitor, I think that they, I have seen better jobs done with Legos. I'm just more interested in the Blu-rays as a thing. Like, I'm glad that these these films are living on. You know, they're so dated and they're so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they they have a a sense about them that they really represent the decade. The no, that's what I'm saying. They're they're just wonderful. I love them. But the, yeah, but there's a difference between a dated film that just stinks because it doesn't even work for a representation of its era. Yeah. And a film that represents their era so well that you you just love it and you got to show it with, you know, to your kids because it's historical. It's a it's a timepiece. Yeah. So it's in a time I'm capsule. looking forward to that. I, Whoa, boom, what did I just say? <laughs> Mike walk away. So I'm looking did forward to that. I'm did, did you hear what I said? You said it was in a time capsule. Okay. Yes, I heard you, Joe. I heard you. Just making sure. Well, do you think you could mount this to the back of your car and it would do anything? Ah, uh, the flux capacitor? I'm sure it would. You, you just have to get up to 88 miles an hour and find out. Oh, okay. But, but you, well, does, it come, do with the, does Georgia, it come with the keypad speedy. where you can punch in the date? Uh, hmm. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I will definitely... I don't have the Star Wars films... Uh, Star Wars. I don't have the Back to the Future films on Blu-ray, so I need to get those. That'll be good. That'll be fun. Joe, we have something else we need to talk about. Before we move into our review this week, we have some news related to yes. the podcast and some things. Very big news, very big week. So so like the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, all good things must indeed come to an end. But I don't want to freak you guys out. It, let me just say that while this show is coming to an end at episode 150, its successor will go on. Its so, spirit will live on. Its spirit will live on, and it, there will be a successor. We are not it going, is going to, to stop. be upgraded. Yes, we're not going to stop podcasting. We're just ending this incarnation of the show. So what we're trying to tell you guys is that Movie Byte will be ending soon. Yes. This show, the Movie Byte podcast, will end. Uh, we will have episode 150, and that will be the last episode. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be ready right away to start our new show, so there will be a little bit of lag time. But I'm anticipating doing stuff like redirecting the feed so that those of you who are subscribed to the Movie Byte podcast will continue to be subscribed to the new show. Um, now, I actually have some big ideas for the future movie web uh, well, review show. Yes, and so usually, do I. We've been discussing this for a while now. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm really eager to see how we can uh, change a little bit about the format. It'll still have us on the show, so you know, you're going to still get uh, plenty of us. But there's just some things that we would like to do with the show that we – we felt like if we were going to introduce new formatting changes and stuff, we didn't want to do to Movie Byte because it'd break what all of us came to Movie Byte for. Like we wanted to maintain this experience, yeah. and we've given you 150 copies of this experience, and now we want to give you something a little different. That's right, and uh, yeah, I, I never felt completely locked into a formula of Movie Byte, but it's become that over time, and we could change it, but. We, we'd kind of like – we've got a lot of other things in the works uh, that are pretty cool, and this is going to go along with that. We're not ready to announce a lot of other things just yet, but we're and, teasing and like you it. Said, we're there's going to be a few weeks between this and the new thing, and it's mainly because we're going to be working really hard on the new things. Yes. So uh, I think that it's going to be time well worth waiting you know, for the great new stuff. Yes. I, I think everybody will be pleased. 
But in the meantime, Joe, um, I wanted to do something uh, really cool for the listeners because I, I, you know, especially this show has never been big, but we have a few listeners. Uh, There are about, at last I looked, and I haven't looked in a couple months, but uh, last I looked, there were about 250 subscribers to the uh, feed. Um, So it's 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 minuscule in the grand scheme of the podcast thing, and I don't think I've ever revealed those numbers before because I was always hoping they'd be more, uh, and and uh, they're not. But um, we do want to do something cool for the listeners. Um, and so what we're thinking and what we're moving towards is, um, a t-shirt, uh, with the movie bite, uh, artwork on it. Um, and I certainly want one to, as a, a relic of my movie bite podcast days. So I think that would be cool. And if you guys are interested, uh, we're going to be revealing details about that. Hopefully very soon. We're still working out some of the details. We're still hoping we can make it happen. Uh, but, but we, uh, we want to do that for you guys. And it would be really great if you guys could help support us in, in that once we announce it. So. TJ, I was just running the numbers. If you've been listening to every episode of Movie Bite like we have, then <laughs> that means when it's all said and done, on average with 90-minute episodes, you know, some episodes longer, some a few shorter, but on average, let's just say it's 90 minutes. When it's all said and done, that's going to be 13,500 minutes of Moody, Movie Bite content glory. Yes. And it, you know, so it deserves something. If not, you know, a t shirt, a coaster, uh, a movie poster, something. And I think that the way we really want to go is with a t shirt. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just, I was just, uh, we doing... were talking about t shirts back at like episode 20. We I did, mean, like, yes. It's high time, TJ. I just did a, a little bit of division, and 13,500 minutes is 225 hours if you assume that we have on average 90 minutes of podcast. So that's, that's an interesting number. Um, it might be interesting to do a best of show sometime, but we'll see if that, that, that takes work. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, we're, we're excited about the future. Um, and we're really, really happy. I, I, I'm really happy for all the listeners who have listened and, and given us feedback over the year, uh, last couple of years, I should say not year, you know, it's been a couple of years. It's been like for, for episode 150. Can we bring back all the guests we've had for all time? I think we should if we can. I know a couple Just of guests. Of yeah, I think a couple of guests have already. I've, I've they've basically said I don't want to be on your show again. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, you know, so <laughs> it's it's fine. But we'll have we. It would be fun to have a few guests for on the last reasons, show. TJ. Yes, for reasons. So yeah, it would be fun to have a few guests on the show. We'll we'll, we'll think about stuff like that. We've got some stuff in the pipeline, and I think you guys are going to be excited once we reveal the details of what the new thing that we're doing. So, and if you have any ideas, uh, you know, comments you want to make that we you know, maybe we could mention on episode one hundred and fifty, uh, please send them our way. Email us, you know, info, uh, tweet us info at moviebyte dot com. Yeah, and tweet us at movie. It's just at moviebyte. Is yes, that right? That's correct. So yeah, if you want anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear it now. All right, good. Well, with that, I think that we should move in to our review of Terminator Genesis. <laughs> hey, hey. What's wrong with this picture? Nice night for a walk, eh? Nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? Nothing clean. Right. Yeah, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. <laughs> You're closed. Give them to me. Now. You won't be needing any clothes. I've been waiting for you. Oh. 
That was a clip from the film that is now out in theaters, Terminator Genesis. Terminator Genesis was released on July the 1st, 2015. It had a budget of 155 million buckaroos. Uh, on opening weekend, it brought in a whopping $27 million, and the worldwide gross currently stands at $229.5 million. The critics' consensus is that while it, it – not while – it is mired in its muddled <laughs> mythology, Terminator Genesis is a lurching re- retread that lacks the thematic depth, conceptual intelligence, or visual thrills that launched this once-mighty franchise. The director was Alan Taylor. The writers were, oh boy, I did not even think about this, trying to pronounce these, Leta, Lita, Caligridis. Hey, that's her uh, name, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Patrick Lucier. Uh, and the characters were based on and written by uh, James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd. <sighs> the stars of this film were Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Clark, Amelia Clark. Uh, those two are not related, as far as I understand. His Jai last Courtney. name is just a few characters short of the entire alphabet. Yes. Uh, Jai Courtney, J.K. Simmons, Matt Smith, and Byung-Hun Lee. The composer was Lorne Balfe. And while we're just briefly touching on the score, I'll just say that I found the score pretty unmemorable. Um, you know, they, of course, he used the famous, uh, you know, the, the Terminator theme. But other than that, oh, yeah. I, I found the score pretty unmemorable. Um, so, Joe, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us about this disappointing storyline? Yes, yes. Well, this is straight out of IMDb. When John Connor, played by Jason Clark, leader of the human resistance, sends Sergeant Kyle Reese, played by uh, Jai Courtney, back to 1984 to play uh, Sarah Connor. To protect. To protect Sarah Connor. <laughs> That's a very different movie. Played by <laughs> Amelia Clark and safeguard the future. An unexpected turn of events creates a fractured timeline. Now Sergeant Reese. Oh, a fractured timeline in the Terminator film? (laughs) Say it isn't so. Wait, uh, what just happened here, TJ? (laughs) Is this the same show? Continue. Now Sergeant Reese finds himself in a new and unfamiliar version of the past where he is faced with unlikely allies, including the protective pops played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who could that be? Dangerous new enemies and an unexpected new mission to reset the future, 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 future. (laughs) All right. Let's discuss this film. All right, TJ. So I thought we might do this a little bit differently. Yes, you've um, got a, you, like we haven't even rebooted the show yet, and you've got like a new format in here. Oh, uh, what is happening? I'm breaking all the rules. Yes. So when I was in the theater, I was writing notes on my phone, and I thought, you, well, well, Man, you, these are what? Some really good notes. You know that's like illegal, right? You can't do that in the, in the United States. Well, they didn't see me using my phone, so okay. they didn't take it away. <laughs> okay. And while I was writing these notes, it occurred to me, um, you know, this would be kind of cool it, it, to help me uh, gather my thoughts because if we didn't follow notes for this particular kind of movie, TJ, I was afraid that we would go into a horrible, uh, frustrating, circular reasoning conundrum where we just basically berated all of the time tra- travel inconsistencies for 30 minutes and didn't really talk about Are the Are you saying we might fracture the timeline further? Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> it could happen, and then they would turn it into the next sequel, and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> All right, so you had some general observations, and I have a couple of those too, but why don't you start us out? Yeah, okay, so um, I have two that I wanted to mention for sure. Number one, I couldn't stop staring at John Connor's scars. At the beginning of the movie, he's this battle-worn figure who's leading the resistance in the future past or past future whatever, and he's... That's a different movie, Days of Future Past. Uh, basically, I, no, I think that they're basically the same movie. Mm, mm, no, mm, one okay. is way better. <laughs> and it ain't the this old, one. You mean the, the older one, right? Not this remake. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't even know what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, John Connor's face, you know, he's wearing makeup uh, scars, obviously. Obviously. It looks pretty good, but it's sort of distracting. So while the character's performance is pretty cool and it's nice to see the leader of the resistance fleshed out in this movie in a way that still feels like it plays good respect, lip service and honor to the original concept of the John Connor from the original 80 movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, Obi-Wan telling young Luke, when I was a young man and your father was a whippersnapper, we will use the greatest fighter pilot in the galaxy. You know, like, what it's, is it's that like, the voice that you're doing? That is so Alec weird. Guinness? Alec Guinness? Popeye? No. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Okay. So when we, we finally see John Connor, it's way better than a young Anakin. And that, that's what I'm trying to get at here. That's true. I'll give him that. But that being said, it was just uh, – his scars were a little bit too much and you see them yep. off and on again throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get to one of your points here. I, I like these. So my first point is that judgment day for the podcast is here, Joe. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, so – uh, they totally Star Trek this film. Uh, they, <laughs> they, it's not as bad though because not that it was bad with Star Trek, but I mean it just wasn't as good as it could be. But it, it was it's better because the entire concept of fracturing the timeline actually has been a theme in every Terminator movie, um, and and sending people back and rebooting the timeline or whatever. Like every Terminator film changes the timeline, and that's just the nature of the Terminator franchise. So in that way, I actually thought that that concept worked pretty well. Like, things can be different because they are different because they were changed because this entire thing is about time travel and sending people back and sending Terminators back. So uh, so I thought that that worked pretty well. So they, they totally Star trek this film, and that was actually okay and, and in a way better than Star Trekking the Star Trek film. Uh, so um, how – I, I want to know – I don't even know how this works. I've heard other people say it, and I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. Um I don't know how they found an Asian Robert Patrick, but they totally did. Like, he looks like Robert Patrick, but he's not because he's Asian. Like, I don't get how that works, but they totally did for the T-1000 model. I mean, that just, I don't know. It just worked for me. I, it worked for me, too. And I, I thought for the sake of really lame, cheesy time travel fare, it works in this idea that not everything has to be consistent with the past or the future of the past or the past future because – this is like a deviation from the original Correct. course of time. Right. Well, this every, is not yeah. actually intentionally consistent with the other films in ways. Right. It's the, uh, like, this idea that the universe itself has been fractured. Well, like Some in this, things in this, could not be restored. In this iteration of the timeline, like uh, you know, Sarah Connor looks more like Amelia Clark than Linda Hamilton. I mean, like, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and that's borrowed from a completely different universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my, my other general observation is that I, I just have to wonder, as we continue down this path of remakes after remake after remake after remake, what, Joe, are future generations going to remake? What is their nostalgia going to be? Because, like, they're, like, using our borrowed nostalgia. Like, I don't – like. It's so bad. I just don't I, – I think that all things will become new again, TJ. Mm. That, that's what I'm learning here. It sounds biblical. Hmm. Uh, no, but but seriously, like, so are they going to be nostalgic for this Terminator film or for the original Terminator films? Or, like, is the nostalgia just being destroyed and, like, it's going to play itself out in a generation and then maybe we'll eventually get some new stuff? Like, I don't know. 
I don't know. I think that they're just trying to do everything they can with Arnold Schwarzenegger with Terminator as long as they can before that it's impossible to make an excuse for using Arnold for a future film. <laughs> and if you're going to cash it in, do it now. And it, you're you're right. You mentioned earlier. Um, I think you mentioned that it kind of reminded you of Tron. Did you did you say that, or was that just my brain? Talking I to me? never said that. And I don't. I don't know. I don't think it reminded me of Tron. Although they certainly did some similar things, like with the young Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, they did. And you put this article link in here. This was pretty cool. How yes. they made the Terminator character. I was fully prepared, Joe, to be really like, oh, this all this CGI, this uncanny valley stuff, and like. I don't know. Maybe I was just in the right mood. Maybe the lighting in the theater was just right, but I totally bought it. Like I was Me like, too. this I was really good. Did. Yes, it was really I, and good. And I didn't understand exactly how they did it because it was, it was spot on. Let me, let me tell you how good it was. I was thinking, and I, it's been a while since I've seen the original film. And I thought they must've, you know what they must've done. They must've cleaned up the original film and used like him from the original film. Like those scenes must be in I the original film. I thought that at first uh, too, yeah. but then I started thinking, nah. Well, once they and got into I the started... fighting, it was obvious they weren't, but like, that's how good it was at first. I was like, they must've reused footage because it looks so good. Like, and then part of me started to think, did they do what they did with JK, uh, JFK in Forrest Gump? And then I started thinking about it more and I was like, no, that was really old technology. I don't think that they'd go that far back to make these kinds of things. And so then it occurred to me, oh, they're doing what they did with Tron Legacy. You know, a young Jeff Bridges was used for the CGI character of Clue. And then you had Jeff Bridges playing an older man named, you know, Kevin Flynn. And in order to do it, you know, you just create a digital double of the younger actor and you could reference the original films where Jeff Bridges was 30 some years old in order to create his digital double for the character of Clue. Right. And they could do the same thing here in order to do this with Schwarzenegger. They just had to refer to the original films. They could even film on the original locations if they wanted to. Yes. Where, you know, there was the scene where he's got to get his clothes. And they could frankly just go back to that original location at night, put up the same original ugly, tacky, fluorescent lighting outdoors. Yes. And shoot the guys wearing a period 80s clothes and say that this, you know, say the same things with the original lines. And if you had just watched the original film recently, or if you have watched that movie dozens of times because you're an avid fan, you would very quickly probably spot the mistakes where it wasn't completely identical. But for someone like us, where we see the film, you know, maybe every few years when we have an excuse to, it's a fun popcorn film then we're not really attuned to the super nuanced details and it just looks like it's the same thing. And I, that's what blew me away when it deviated from the original. I was like, okay, this is all new material here. How did they do this young Arnold Schwarzenegger? And I, I just didn't understand it because they pulled this off way better than they did in Tron Legacy. Yeah, the difference um – between the like as you point out they they really did do this with Tron Legacy before it's like they've done the younger version of the south but it was more uncanny valley but i feel like my thought going into this was i feel like that was okay for tron because they were basically they were in the matrix let's face it it didn't have to look as real right they were digital things i completely agree with that but, and for that reason i still love that film uh yeah yeah so so but my thought going into this film was they can't have that that's not going to work if it doesn't look real it's not going to work and and I don't know how they did it amongst amongst a bunch of other complaints. This is not one of them. They they really nailed it. I thought they did a really good job. I it actually made me think like what's crazy about this is that it was so good 
that if this film were better and they wanted to expand on this and make other interesting additional Terminator movies, they could have easily followed this up with yet another and yet another for like a trilogy with the effects that they're using today that would rival anything that they had done in the past. So, and, and if this movie had made any money, I think they would, we definitely would have seen that, but it didn't. But I don't think that their heart was in it either. Like there were times at which it felt like this movie was made because it was a huge homage to the original movie and those filmmakers making this movie adore it, but not because it's, they actually thought that there was a future in making this franchise continue. Yeah, it's it's as if um, this, whoever's making these films like this, they, they were fans and they're, they're writing fan fiction and they've gotten their hands on it and somehow they've gotten the reins and they have no idea what to actually do. <laughs> and while you're on that train of thought, this leads into one of my other observations. You say that they were fans and it seems like they picked up on a lot of the tropes, the, the tricks of the Terminator franchises. Uh, films and I, I thought to myself, yeah, they're they're repeating the past in many ways. They're using the same little subtle gags and spoo- you know, like they're spoofing themselves. I'd be back. But, well, yeah, that was. I'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> but for right now, what cracked me up, TJ? Did you notice how many times there would be a car chase? And guess what? There is a cop car right behind in the chase. Like it doesn't even have to be the villain who's like purposefully trying to disguise himself as a cop. What do you know? There's a cop who just happens to be in the same place at the same time. What's up with that? It must be a Terminator movie. Yeah. I, I don't quite know what you're saying, but I'll, it just happened. If you go back and watch this movie, you'll find like there were other additional, like extra characters, little side characters that just show up. Like when they conveniently needed a cop in a car in a cop car for somebody to wind up doing something in relation to that cop car. And then proceed with the story a cop would come out of nowhere in a car and it was like where are all these cops coming from where are hmm. all their cars coming from i, I noticed that. that throughout the film yeah i don't remember that i did have it, one, it cracked me up i did have one other general observation though uh and that is that i think that james cameron ruined this franchise with terminator 2 now 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 hear me Wait, out well, he, well, what? okay hear me out hear me out Terminator, Jay, Term- go back and retract your story no 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 listen listen terminator 2 is the best film in the franchise but think about what he did. He brought in a freaking liquid metal robot. How do you top that? <laughs> and so now all these films, every Terminator film following up is like, well, we, we got to do better than that. How can we, how can we do that? I, uh, I, I got nothing. <laughs> so, so they do all this crazy, wacky stuff. So like James Cameron made the best film in the franchise and he wrecked it at the same time. Like that, that's just the nature of the beast. So that, that's what I'm saying. That's my well, general observation. we don't really need to talk about the films after number two, but you are making the allusions to them. And I, all I want to say in passing is I saw the next one. I did not see the one with Christian Bale. No, I didn't but either. But I really have no respect for them. I, I just feel like, eh, they're throwaways. So I don't, I, I didn't hate Rise of the Machines uh, with Claire Danes and that other actor, something stall, I think. Uh, I, I didn't hate it, but it just didn't live up to the franchise. Like, it's a fine it's three. Like, it was it's sort a, of like RoboCop 5 or whatever. No, no. I would say I haven't seen the one with Christian Bale, but all the Terminator films that I've seen are better than any RoboCop, uh, any original RoboCop thing. That you, you're right. They, they are, in, in general, better quality made films, but yes. I, I still feel like they fall in the same campus to why, what occasion would I find myself watching this film? I must be sick in bed with nothing else to watch. And, oh, look, RoboCop is on. Uh, I guess. I'll just turn it on and it, it takes the least amount of effort to turn that on. So I'll just let it play. No, and, and that would be I, I, my excuse for watching one of the other Terminator no. films. The more recent Robocop film. Yeah, sure. I'd watch that, but I no, not, not any of the originals. Any, anyway, 
Um, yeah. So TJ, yes. Get off the rabbit trails. Yes. Uh, you wanted to talk now about, have you finished your general observations? Uh, I had a few general observations. Yeah. Um, these weren't majorly important, but the I'll be back is a line that appears over and over again in this film. It only shows up once. Yeah. And it honest to God did not work for me, TJ. Uh, did it work for you? Cause it was, I when thought it, it happened, was fine. it just, it I, felt like it was completely, uh, just like, uh, we got to put it in here somewhere guys. No, no, well, we I, well I thought it was a fine homage and they, they didn't like, they only used it once. I like, if he, they'd used he, it more than once. It was fine. But I thought, and I thought it gave a good laugh and I thought it was a nice no, throwback it, at the it, same time. It didn't. And, and that was actually something that struck me as awkward. Do you know why it didn't? I, I, I thought about this cause I, I got a good laugh out of it, but not as much as I wanted to. And I think the reason is because we saw it in the trailers and they should have held that back from the trailers, but it's such an iconic line. They had to put it in the trailers. Ah, uh, maybe that's why. That's why. Maybe that's what yeah. did it. I think because when fine. I was in the theater, nobody cared. Nobody responded because everybody saw it 20,000 times in the trailers. Well, yeah, actually awkwardly. So nobody in the theater responded to anything in this movie. Hmm. Ah, that's yeah. I, I my in my theater people did respond to things. I I thought that was fine. So, hmm. so it's not a big deal. But one last note of observations here was that this film uh, played up the the ongoing theme of this series, which was the future is not set. And with that assumption, then you can say, ah, oh, well, we might be able to change the future if we just know what the future is all about, and we can decide to make different choices than we did in the original version of the future. And the, the, the other films have kind of played up this idea that maybe we can't change the future. Maybe everything is doom and gloom. We don't really have a place for hope because the future is set because time is set. It is unchangeable. And in this film, they kind of nailed the coffin to that, that discouraged, you know, you know, this desperate, depressed standpoint and that worldview and just said, no, 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 you actually can change the future that, that we've settled now. And they did it with this film. Mm. So I thought that that was interesting that they wanted to take it that direction. I, I really don't care one way or the other what they do with the worldview in the film because this is the Terminators, right? Like they, they can do whatever they want. And then in the, the next very next film, they could just rewrite it all over all over again and say, no, I guess the future, the future is actually set because <laughs> you know, they're just going to keep going back in time and keep redoing the past. Okay. So – your format change here is that you want to talk about the dislikes and then the likes. You know, I'm not really particular about that. That was just the way that my outline came into being. Uh, do you do you want to do it that way? I don't care. That's fine. Well, uh, we've made allusions to both. Um, I I was actually pr- pretty pleased with the visual effects, the post-production effects in this film, as we already said about Arnold being this computer-generated guy. What we're actually saying is, is that there was the old Arnold, which we have seen like in modern-day present Arnold, dressed up as a Terminator robot killing machine. But then you also had a digital copy of him from the 80s era in this movie, and they were fist-fighting each other for a few scenes. Then you had a much older Arnold with you know just a very simple makeup job. Um, I, I thought that all of the practical effects and visual effects were great when they would do car chases, when they were having burning buildings, when they would have liquidating robots, when they would be smashing metal on and on it goes. I thought it was pretty good except for two things that felt a little bit too hokey and uncanny for me. There was a flipping bus and <laughs> yes. it just felt like it was a digital double of a bus. No, it was way too much. It didn't work. Uh, it, it was too ambitious. And um, they, it, you remember the bus crash 
and the Superman movie with Christopher Reeve where it was teetering off at the Golden Gate Bridge? Of course. Well, it had some weight to it. it you actually felt like there were some stakes. Yes, you I You cared agree. about the people on the bus and it felt like it was something that could seriously happen, a real accident caused by a real earthquake. And as it happened, you felt like a real earthquake was rocking the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes. In this case, you didn't really feel like any of this was happening on the genuine Golden Gate yeah, Bridge. Yeah, I'm calling this a complete CGI fail where they did so good at the beginning of the film, they must have been out of budget because none of this felt like it had any weight. None of it felt real. They they tried to make it this big, the bus flips five times kind of thing in the air and then lands on the thing. Like none of it made any sense and none of it worked. You're absolutely right. Then the other uh, major fail for the special effects. Well, again, we're mixing our words here. What I mean is the CGI. Yes. Another fail for the CGI was the time travel when they would show this blue glowing light of ball, a ball of light enclose the the people that were about to go into a time travel scenario and it gets brighter it gets brighter it gets bigger it's bigger it's glorious it's glorious and then boom and they're in another location mm, it just felt me. it felt like it was good effects but it took me out of the movie because so much of the movie felt like it was real done with real sets and real locations and real gunfire and real explosions and real car chases and real crashes and real metal being like bent to pieces and shrapnel and then when you see this glowing ball of light, it looks like something that Tony Stark would have cooked up in the laboratory and that Thor was producing with a <laughs> bolt of lightning out of his hammer. And so I, when I see this, I was just like, okay, when is you know uh, all the wicked aliens from Guardians of the Galaxy going to come next? You know, It was just that, that kind of visual effects, over-the-top stuff that plainly looked like CGI. And even if it looked visually attractive in an artistic way, it didn't look like it was happening with physical space, with physical, well, true, genuine physics. Huh. Yeah, it didn't bother me. Okay. Uh, what else did you dislike? So uh, from my perspective, you said earlier that it had great action scenes and what, and I would, I would challenge you to name one that you thought was memorable. I felt like there were no memorable action sequences in this film, and that is in comparison, like in in, in contrast, I should say, to, to uh, Terminator and Terminator Two. Like those had memorable action sequences; you can remember things that happened in them. There was a lot of cool stuff going on. This had like no memorable action sequences, none. You know, I I will agree with you. There were no bad action sequences, though. They were technically they were proficient. They were fine, but they weren't memorable. Nothing right. about they're, them. They're was not going to go down in history as oh, let's refer to this film. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, my my biggest thing with this film, this I, I struggled with whether this was a general observation or a dislike. I um. I thought Amelia Clark was fine, and I could see how she is uh, a really well-liked and respected actor in other capacities. I just missed Linda Hamilton a whole lot. And and Amelia Clark is nothing like Linda Hamilton. She doesn't look like her. She doesn't act like her. She doesn't sound like her. She doesn't have the same uh, personality or fortitude. It just none of it was the same, and I felt like it was a little weird. You are so right. You're so right. And I thought that all the way through the film. Like, I love Amelia Clark. Uh, she has the presence that you need for a motion picture. But then I started, like, thinking about the Sarah Connor that we saw in the first film. Yes, yes. And that woman brought something to the character that was unpredictable, kind of like, what was her name? Uh, um, you know, the woman that everybody loves in Mad Max? 
Fury Road. Uh, Furiosa. Uh, Furiosa. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like there was something Furiosa-like about Sarah Connor in the original film. Yes. That Completely missing felt, with Amelia Clark. That was more uh, human, more believable because you couldn't really predict her next move. Yes. She was going through things and encountering 101 different ideas internally that you weren't seeing in a stereotypical way coming out on screen with a Hollywoodized version of, well, this is what a woman would do. She would run in panic and throw her arms up in the air and go, ah, and at the end, kiss the guy. You know, th- that didn't happen. So I think what they were trying to do with Amelia Clark or, or with the script or whatever is they were like, she would do this thing where when, when, uh, forgettable Jai Courtney comes over with the, uh, with the keys to unlock her handcuffs. She's like, I don't need you to unlock my handcuffs. Stay away from me. You know? And it's like the, the Linda Hamilton version of this character, uh, of Sarah Connor would have, would have said, thank you for unlocking my handcuffs. And she would have grabbed a gun and she would have started blowing things up. Like that's the <laughs> difference between this version of, of Sarah Connor and the version of Sarah Connor that is that Amelia Clark is playing. It's like, I, I, no, this is not how you show a strong woman. She doesn't like balk at people helping her out and unlocking her handcuffs and, and getting all up in arms and defensive and strong. I'm a feminist. Leave me alone. No, yeah. she just does. She just, she's, she's, uh, she would have this gladly not- accepted the key to unlock her handcuffs and then she would have grabbed a gun and she would have done what needed to be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, th- this Sarah Connor uh, did not make me think of Furiosa. No, not at all. The, is, Furiosa would be a bit more practical about anything. She'd be like, hey, what is the goal here? Well, we want to survive. We don't want to die today. Can you uncuff my cuffs? Okay, good. Now what? She wouldn't even bother to thank you. She'd just be cool, totally cool with yes. it. Like, let, we got to move on here. Right. We just got to move on, people. Yes. We got to survive. We're going to you know, change the future. And not with this you know, angsty thing going on with the present. I think that the Sarah Connor of the older films, if told, you are going to have a baby with this guy and you're going to like it because it's going to be the key to saving the universe. Then she would have bared the brunt, the weight of that responsibility of you are going to have a relationship with this guy, whether you like it or not. Whereas this Sarah Connor was more like the feminine, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the, what now? <laughs> the modern day woman that, that just says, no, I, I have to be my own person. Right. Right. And, it, and it's kind of forcing it. You know, we, we respect women's rights and all we're, we're equality, you know, buffs, whatever, you know, I have nothing wrong with women in society. I'm married. I love women, but <laughs> come on people like women are not strong because they are bullyish. That doesn't make a person strong. I can't wait for you to get email. <laughs> Why not? Please email Joe. Sling mud in this direction, <laughs> but no, I just I I, lo- I love the original Sarah. Yeah, Connor. I do too. She was strong. She had a great presence. Like again, Amelia Clark has presence, I, I feel which like, was unheard of in early eighties films. I, I, it was still good for its time. I feel like Amelia Clark is not to blame here. It's the script. No, I it think is. it's the script. And that has a lot to do with this whole – the air of this entire movie. One of the dislikes is it feels very Hollywoodish. Yes. You know, you know, that was probably true of the 80s film back in that day. When that movie was out, it was probably – it didn't f- probably feel quite as original as it does to us in hindsight with all these, you know – Alien, you know, alien-like robots of the future, you know, destroying things and it seemed like a novel idea and uh, something like out of the Twilight Zone. But what it, what am I trying to say? I feel like 
we're going to look at this film in 20 years and say, oh my gosh, that was so dated. <laughs> Why did not, we not realize that for 19, uh, 2015, that that film made in 2015 is already dated for its own time because of how it, it was just a depiction of the, the themes and concerns of the Hollywood culture at large distilled into the Terminator universe. Yeah. Um, so related to um, the, my dislike of the way Sarah Connor played out in this film is the fact that Sarah Connor had no chemistry with Kyle Reese whatsoever in this film. Like I didn't believe for a second that they ended up fathering a uh, or fathering and mothering a, a child. Like it just didn't work at all on any level. Oh. No, the, Amelia Clark has no chemistry with Jay Courtney. Not that anybody could have any chemistry with Jay, Jay Courtney because like he's nobody. He's forgettable. Like he is the action star that nobody knows why he's there. <laughs> I don't understand what is happening with him. But there is certainly no chemistry between our our protagonists here, uh, and and again, that's again what you miss about Linda Hamilton and uh, I don't remember the actor's name who played Kyle Reese originally, but there was chemistry there, there was something there, and it's not present in this film at all. You know, I I completely overlooked that detail. You are so right. The, the whole film, like they were toying with the idea of their romance being on or off, but it was never like it was real or genuine. It felt like actors that were playing lines to that particular theme that was never really well executed. Yes. Man, I, I didn't even, that didn't even really even occur to me, it but just, you were so right. It just didn't work on any level for me. I kept th- throughout the whole film. I'm like, well, I know they have to wind up together, but they neither like nor dislike each other. They're just acting like they dislike each other, but they don't have any chemistry and they don't like none of this is working. None of, none of this is working at all. And I, again, I think it's probably because of Jai Courtney more than Amelia Clark, but it just I ugh. <laughs> ugh. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, TJ. <laughs> you want to talk about one of the other like major plot contrivance problems? that I had. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do that? This is like up there with that particular. If if this is the one I think you're about to hit on, I I completely agree. Go ahead. Uh, Why is it that they're going to the future to resolve their problems when they know the date that all these things are going to happen? Yes. They have to stop bad things. Yes. Thank you. And there's this critical turning point where the heroes are going to make a huge significant difference in the future okay. to course correct everything Joe, here's why they can only arrive one day before doomsday it's on account that, that's my problem it's like on you, a, you, you it's, use time a time travel machine you can only use once it's on a, and you go to that moment in time and you only give yourself 24 hours or so to complete the objective joe it's it's on account of all the reasons <laughs> <laughs> all of Hollywood them. all the reasons. reasons yes it doesn't oh, it make so any horrible. sense you literally have a freaking time machine you can go anywhere you want at any time you want and you go 24 hours before doomsday you are a special kind of stupid i i, I know <laughs> it, it struck me during the movie as one of the biggest mistakes of the film, so, of the uh, films of the year. So, so Kyle Reese, Jai Courtney, he has this memory that he didn't live, but he knows it's been pushed into his head that, it, that he has the date that Skynet is going to come online now in this version of the timeline. And so he wants to go to that date instead of say, going like, say, Oh, maybe a year before I just no. No. And, and, and the problem here is, people, is that anyone knows if you're going to save the world, it's going to take you more than 24 hours. Yes. He gave himself no time. You cannot in the save the world in 24 the hours. It doesn't work. 
It was ridiculous. He's never watched a movie before. That's the problem. They didn't have movies and, and, in after Skynet but, took but over. But TJ, I could understand if one character would make this mistake, but it was three. Three, three of them. characters one of them that was all a, were thinking about yeah. a lot of very difficult problems, and it should have occurred to one of them. It should have occurred to the the machine that does all the calculations in his head. It should have occurred to him. There was the scene on the bridge where he says, I am 14 rounds short of a successful getaway. It, like he knew from just assessing a scene where they were surrounded by cops and guns that he played it out in his computer brain and realized I could nab this gun. I could stop that cop. I could then turn this way and knock this guy out with that thing. And then, you know, uh, Sarah could do, uh, you know, tackle that guy, you know, and he played it all out in his head in just a, a blink of an eye and says, I am 14 gun rounds shy of a successful getaway and it was like whoa dude really okay well then we need to just you know to, you know give up and surrender and if the terminator could do that what the heck dude why didn't he if no one else figure out that they would need more than 24 hours of preparation before doomsday <laughs> yeah uh and, but see the thing is, is that didn't really like ruin the movie in and of itself it was just it, it, that it was, it was enough to make you realize there th the filmmakers are really not taking this seriously and i i think that they they kind of do at times in the original films and that is one of the reasons why their their content still excels I'm not going to call it the straw that broke the camel's back because I think it's worse than that. But you're right. It's not in and of itself the reason why this film is bad. But it's a, it's a, it's one of the big foundational bricks in what makes this film so bad. Um, yeah, and this is a reflection on a lot of other details in this movie. So it all feels like it has this air of, well, you know, this movie is all for laughs and kicks and giggles and popcorn. So – Let's just you know do the wing it this way. Oh, that special effect shot there. Can you speed it up because we have to make a running show? You know, time of you know like two hours and fifteen minutes. And, you know, there were little decisions and nuances all throughout this film where it felt a little bit too too rushed and simple, easy, and like we got a good enough take, right? Okay, let's move on. Yes, and 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 that just showed up time and again, like when Kyle Reese was piloting the the helicopter to make it feel really exciting. Why doesn't he do like a nosedive sideways off a building, caught on fire, and then at the last minute, second even, pull up out of nowhere, but with no explainable explanation, no logical reasoning. It just works. And nobody seems to be freaked out, freaked out on the helicopter that they were just about to die, and they didn't. They just look around like, okay, we can do this. Let's move on. Yeah. Like, what, what just happened? You almost died, people. Why aren't you freaking out? You had no reason to believe that Kyle could fly the helicopter, and you nearly died. Why aren't you scared out of your minds? Uh, yeah. And it was just a, a shortcoming of how they staged the, the scene. But that, that kind of thing happened in other places as well. That's a problem. I agree. All right, Joe, I have big questions to ask. And I want you to provide me with answers. Uh, what has Jai Courtney ever done? What film has he ever been in that he has amounted to anything? Why does he continue to get roles? What is happening here? Really? That's a very odd question. I mean, like, I personally feel like that's an odd question. Why? Really? Huh? Why? You, you don't like him? No, not at all. Really? I didn't like him in this film. I didn't like him in the Die Hard film. I haven't liked him in anything, ever. Like, huh. he's just the most lackadaisical, forgettable, I've been there, but don't remember, like, I kind of don't even remember his face until I see him again. Like, I, 
what has he ever done? What, what I don't get it. He was I, I don't get it. You know, I I didn't mind him. He he's okay as far as he goes. I don't see why he would deserve to have a well, he, starring role. It's not like they're going to make him the next lead in Mission Impossible Ten. God, I hope not. Here, here's the other thing, though. Like he isn't. He was nothing like Kyle Reese. That's the other side of it too. In addition to not being a great actor, he's nothing like Kyle Reese. Why would you cast him? I don't get it. Hmm. I, I I was okay with him. I, I can see your point. I, I I don't know. I'm not I wasn't super particular um about him. I was actually uh, a little bit more concerned about Jason Clark who played John Connor. Yeah, he was fine. He wasn't great. He was fine, he was... but he was not stirring the way that I was hoping they would make John Connor out to be because it was like they needed the narrators to tell you over and over again how amazing John Connor was as a leader and what a prophet he was. He seemed so wise. And then you see John Connor and he just acts sort of like a normal guy who's on a good day or a bad day. Yeah, it's fine. I I don't know. That didn't didn't bother me. We've always been told more than shown how great of a leader John Connor was. So that that didn't bother me so much. It was fine. It Mm. kind of is what it was. But one thing you can say for sure is that this John Connor talks too much. Yes. Well, I think especially when uh, certain things happen in the middle of the movie, and from that moment on, he he just cannot stop talking. Like for the first half of the film, he's he's mostly quiet and keeps to himself, and he's very cryptic, and he he seems to have all this profundity he keeps to himself and his mother of the past. But then after a certain point, he's like he just cannot shut up. Yes. Yeah. For reasons. <laughs> all the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't know so um jk simmons what was he doing in this film i love jk simmons but what did he add to this film like what was his role what you like, are absolutely what was right. he doing here what was he doing here it, it, it was like he or somebody said hey do you want to be in a terminator film we'll write you in it's like okay <laughs> sure <laughs> they gave him a small part to play but dude was that a small part to play and he didn't do anything except be dumb in the scenes he was in i i, I, I felt like if you wanted to legitimize his role in the film, that would have made him the unforgettable thing about this movie. If you wanted him to be characteristically essential to the story, you could have looked back on this film and said, wow, he, this guy is the thing that sticks out the way that other remarkable features of the other films stood out. Right. But in, in reverse, what we got was just uh, a guy doing some funny ish things kind of embarrassing himself on screen yes and then ultimately playing a very small part in an escape plan which was okay but then it was kind of like well, where did he go after that he just he was he was just witnessing like some really crazy things and he was told we're basically trying to save the universe as we know it and he was like okay and, and then he moved on what, what the heck why didn't he join their join their posse he was their ally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I don't understand what he was doing in any part of this movie and what, what motivated what he did and why he did what he did and, and his laughs, movie. dude, but it was just laughs that were not really thought through. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have a lot more. What do you got? I don't have very much left under the dislikes. Okay. You go for it. Why do we have to keep personifying computers into one single entity person? A la, a la Matt Smith in this case, why is Skynet a person now? I I just – why do we have to keep doing this? This is not the way this works. It doesn't make any sense why this would work this way. Uh, did you not feel that way? I'm not, I'm not hearing any assent from you. Uh, well, elaborate for me. 
So why did why did Skynet have to before Skynet has always been this computer system, but now Skynet is Matt Smith. Like, why do we have to personify it? Why now? Who is Matt Smith? Uh, he's the actor that played Skynet. Okay, so so you're saying why is this 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 like uh, artificial intelligence uh, personifying Skynet at all? Yes. And what point did it serve? Like it really didn't serve any point to have Skynet personified, except that they had these stupid holograms that they would keep showing up, uh, you know, and, and it, it really was poorly done. You're right. That was something that disappointed me throughout that final action sequence. Yeah. So, so, but, but here's the reason that it disappointed me. It, it, we've seen this uh, so many times who cares anymore. Yeah. And it boiled down to basically one of the tropes of traditionally well-rounded scripts is that throughout the film, the villain, the the antagonist is going to be mouthing off at the protagonist and by his words trying to discourage the protagonists. And that's basically what the artificial intelligent computer right. I mean, is trying it's, to it's do the, here. I'm, I'm gaining intelligence. I'm learning more and more every second. Eventually, basically, I'm going to become was, self-aware. You can't yes. stop me. Here I he am. The Look at me. He was just, yeah. He was just saying, resistance is futile. Yeah. People. Give up while you can't give up. Give up, give up, give up. <laughs> it was just over and over and over. Yes. Um, so, so there's that aspect of the whole Skynet thing. And then uh, what was the idea that he was like a child that was growing up internally? Exactly. That was stupid. It's so dumb. A machine it's would so not dumb. have thought like that. It's dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, this whole central core concept, like this is not the way computers work in the real world. Nothing is stored in a central core and you don't blow up the central core. So, so the personification and the whole idea that the way they won the war was they bombed the central core. Like this, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's data. It can literally be anywhere at any time in on any hard drive anywhere for any reason. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's so dumb. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's just dumb. I agree. Did I mention it was dumb? <sighs> okay. Um, I want to know what, like, was there a scene cut? Like, what happened after the whole MRI thing? Like, and like, the only th- only reason that we believe in any way that it's not a mistake when, like, some sort of filmmaking mistake when uh, J- when uh, John Connor shows up again later in the film after the MRI is because she, uh, um, Amelia Clark, uh, uh, what, what's her name, uh, <laughs> Sarah Connor says that won't hold him forever. But like the last we see of John Connor, he's like being sucked into the MRI machine and it's all sparks and everything and it's all magnetized. And then we cut away for a while and then we come back and John Connor's perfectly fine and he's walking through uh, wherever the location of Skynet is at and he's going through the central like he's and he's talking to Skynet and he's talking with the engineers and and everything's cool. Like I don't like that. That's a quite a leap to make. What happened? You know what I'm saying? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I completely agree. The more I think yeah. about this film, the less I like it. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um, so speaking of things that make no sense, what was T-800 uh, Pops doing in the past? How did he get there? They how did he get so old? That. They, they wrote never, it off. I assumed we were going to find out how this yes. convoluted timeline came to be, yes. or at least it was going to be alluded to, like John Connor sent him back after he sent Kyle Reese back because he realized that something else had changed in the timeline, but it was never explained. It just, it was, it just was. Uh, Deus Ex Machina? Ah, uh, sure. Okay. This countdown garbage. Why did the clock keep skipping around? What was you the know, deal? Uh, uh, well, well, I have to back up there. It's not Deus Ex Machina. It's more like Ex Machina, Ex Machina. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's like a, a machine out of the machine. Yes. So continue. Yes. <laughs> so the countdown stuff, it just, you know, normally this countdown thing, like it's, first of all, how do you know, like if the countdown is running when it's going to become sentient or alive or able to do whatever it needs to do or whatever. So that's one thing, but then the countdown keeps changing and skipping. So as a device that makes us worry about the time they have left, it's not really effective because it like, now we don't know. Like I, it doesn't work. I, I, I don't know. None of the, I didn't understand it at all as a device in the film. <sighs> okay. Uh, you know, that, that, that raises one other problem I had was the way that they characterized Skynet as sort of a, a huge uh, technology company, very successful in the modern era. It sort of reminds you of Microsoft, Google, Apple, and everything else thrown into one. It's AT&T. It's Comcast. It's Time Warner. It's everything. And, and, and assumably, it's worldwide. And somehow everybody has been suckered into this massive global monopoly. And yeah. people, we have monopolies today. And I know that they're really bad. And we put up with them a lot here in America. But I don't see any monopolies taking the whole world over in where as if you know you could get all the people using the same smartphone tablet computer the genesis and, operating system and somehow everybody is just stupid enough to say ooh shiny yeah why not they obviously nobody else no competitor no 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 i want skynet yeah that's, that's so i don't care what reality you're in that is so just what are you thinking people are like do you really think that we're that i know we're dumb so <laughs> this is more of a dumb. limitation of of um terminator as it was originally conceived but i've i've pretty much had it with the technophobia it was just the way they characterized it they didn't have to characterize it this way yeah i would have rather that skynet was something that was some obscure kind of technology that was boring and that you know they would talk about on npr and cnn that no one really cared about and it was like doing some, you know, very uh, strange back of the network style technologies and doing just like really nerdy sciencey stuff that people knew was going to would be important but was boring so that it would fall under the radar and nobody would notice that it was happening and it would infiltrate all of the networks and take over everything as we know it so it would overrun the networks of Google and everything else on the internet you know that made more sense to me uh, a sleeper, a sleeper agent, a sleeper company, a sleeper software, a sleeper artificial intelligence, rather than this thing that was generally well accepted in the public eye that everybody loved and considered to be innocent and you know familial, welcome and a good thing that was going to turn on them overnight. Oh, and like this idea, TJ, that they were going to launch it. And they had a special like timer where the servers would make it available in the middle of the night or something. It, didn't it strike you as a terribly inconsistent with how the world really works that if you're going to launch your biggest, baddest product ever, that's going to change the world as we know it, that there wouldn't have been like everybody in headquarters working around the clock and their headquarters would have been packed with people. Yes. And the final showdown in headquarters in this movie would have been impossible because they only had one security guard. They kill him off quickly. And then they have the final showdown inside of headquarters where in reality, there would have been hundreds of people working nonstop for weeks for a, a crucial launch of a product like this. Yeah, most of most of this film doesn't make any sense, and that's another aspect that doesn't. Do you know what else doesn't make any sense? 
Uh, this is a spoiler for the, the kind of the end of the film, but it's not like a mate. It's not like a plot point. It's just a spoiler for a thing that happens. Uh, so T 800 becomes T 1000. It doesn't make any sense. He gets dipped in the vat of liquid metal and he becomes T 1000. <sighs> and it, it would have been easier to swallow if that had been an important pot plot point. Like the, the, you know, he, the, the, the bad guys are about to, the good guys are about to lose. The bad guys are about to win and they're being overpowered. And uh T 800 is destroyed and thrown into the liquid metal. And then all of a sudden he comes up and saves the day because he's a T 1000. Now, but it's just sort of thrown in, like, oh, he made this heroic sacrifice, and now he's dead, but he came back as the T-1000 model. Ah! Just let it be a heroic sacrifice, even though he's done that before. Just let it be. Just, ah, just, hmm, hmm. Okay, you want to get into your likes now? <laughs> See, this is why I like to do likes first, because now I'm just really mad at this film, and I can't, I don't know, I gotta think about it. So I do have a list here, but I'm like, this film is dumb, I don't want to talk about the likes. <laughs> but yeah, well, let's okay. let's talk about the things we like. Why don't you, well, why don't you get I, us I, in I the mood? I can tackle one. Yeah, why don't you get we us in the mood? go back to really quick say that we really liked the uh, way that they characterized Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator models, young and old. Uh, I liked the idea that we saw the aging Terminator robot, yeah, that he... Yeah was actually wearing down on the inside, but he had actually been in active duty for, you know, what, 50-ish years or so? Yeah. So that was really kind of cool that he was still badass and, you know, fighting the good fight to try and save the world, but he was really kind of old and it just worked. And you couldn't have asked for the better time to make this movie with an old Terminator played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. It just fell into place. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, but I've enjoyed all the Terminator films. I, I certainly like, uh, and I think they figured this out after the first film, uh, with starting with Terminator 2, where the T-800 becomes the good guy. And I, I certainly like that a lot better. I, I like Schwarzenegger as the good Terminator, who's kind of, uh, this robot who doesn't quite know what to do with himself, and he doesn't know how to interact with other people very well. And I don't know, it just all works for me. Uh, and, and it definitely, I, I thought that, you know, Terminator has always been about time travel, but I thought that this film made really effective use of of time travel and changing the timeline. Uh, I did think that the the idea behind it all was very clever um, in rebooting the the franchise. As I said at the beginning of when we started talking about Terminator Genesis, I think the Star Trekking it works better in this franchise than it actually does in Star Trek. Um, so I I liked all that. I I loved the way this film used the changing of the timeline to turn so many things on its head. Like, um, you know, it would have been easy just to let it be purely a film that rehashed things that happened before. But but it it, it changes things a little bit. And, and, and because it goes down this road of rehashing things that have happened before, when the twist comes of who the actual bad guy is, you were, I was genuinely surprised and I've heard from a lot of people that the trailers spoiled this, and I think I must have stayed away from enough trailers that I didn't realize that that's what was going on, um, and I wasn't paying attention to posters and stuff. Um, and I won't spoil it for our audience who the bad guy actually is in this film, but I was genuinely shocked, and I was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. That's weird. And this, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought that was actually very cleverly done. Yeah, I, I you just took the words right out of my mouth that anything that they borrowed from the original films was really well executed. That you felt like you were taken back to 1984. You got to see some of the same scenes but shot in 
new ways, slightly modernized that didn't take away from the originals and then meshed up with uh, what they got for the, the new bits of this story in and of itself, well interwoven pieces from here and there. I, I'd like to that. Yeah. Another thing was that in general, the, the, the explosions, the vehicles, just the locations, the, the robots, everything looked their best. Like a lot of the, uh, one of the things you can criticize the original films for, and I don't know that they could have overcome this problem was that the, some of the sets just look cheesy. Some of the locations just look cheesy. Well, yeah, uh, they're fakeish, the, you know, propish. Uh, you know, the robots look too much like puppets. They, they did a mighty good job for their time and I don't know how they could have done better, but if you're just objectively thinking about what you're seeing on screen, these robots, yeah, they're mighty convincing. They, the way they move about the way that they, they fight the, they're like, um, when you see the two, what is it? 800s. When they don't have the flesh on, they're just the maniacal robots with glowing red eyes. Yes. They just uh, they just have a great presence on screen that's never going to end. And you never really feel like that was a puppet. Okay, that was a CGI model. Okay, that was another CGI model. That's a puppet. You don't have that throughout this film. Yeah. So that helped a lot, Carrie – uh, seen for from scene to scene, a variety of just little things that were happening that didn't feel like they were made on a low budget. Yeah, no, I I agree. I thought that the for the most part, with a few exceptions like the bus, that the this whole the film definitely hit a high technical oh, high oh, marks for technical good you know stuff. Yeah, uh, for instance, uh, I just remembered one of the reasons I liked how this was pulled off in this film for practical effects. I don't know exactly how they did this. But there were times when the Terminator man robot guy would lose the flesh on his arm again uh-huh. and or he would just lose his arm entirely or something and the arm would go away, go away. In the original films, when he'd lose his arm, it was obvious that you know Arnold Schwarzenegger was just like tucking his arm into a funny you know sleeve inside of his shirt sure. and they were draping it over yeah. with a, a jacket and he had an extra bulge for his long arm uh, th- that wasn't happening in this film it literally looked like the arm is gone <laughs> it's just not there <laughs> and that's kind of cool that we we got to the point that we can completely sell a completely missing limb yeah so another thing that I'll say that I did like about this film is I I thought that Arnold Schwarzenegger actually I think he's getting better in his in his older age. Uh, I wouldn't call him really old yet, but you know, it's just like I I actually enjoy. Am, am he's enjoying, more charming. Yeah, he's less corny. Mo- the, several of the movies I've seen lately with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like he's you know, I ex- I guess I expected more of a William Shatner type of aging where he just gets like this really weird uh, thing where he's like he's not really getting old and he wants to deny it, but like he's like embracing it and. And he's taking it to the next level, and he's actually like learned how to be a good actor, which you can't really necessarily say about his younger version of himself. So, like, I, I feel like he's just getting better, and I've I've enjoyed the things lately that he's been in, and this is not no exception as far as he goes, not the film itself or the story, but as far as he goes, I enjoyed all the scenes that he was in. I I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Just a second ago, you were saying how Arnold Schwarzenegger is not like one of your favorite actors, but I have to agree that even if he's not one of your favorites, uh, it's it's hard not to like him yeah. in one of these movies. Yep, he just pulls it off, especially in general for this one, even if his character didn't have a, a, the best part to play. 
he he still has the Terminator within. He sells it. Yeah. Which is, it can't be that hard. And then speaking <laughs> of, of the actors in this film, uh, the only other – I did like Amelia Clark. I, I don't feel like it was her fault that she was miscast or that this, the, the script was not kind to her character. Um, I did like her. She had a great presence on the screen. Uh, she's definitely a movie star, and I'd like to see something where she can actually use her talents appropriately. I would, I would like that. So, uh, uh, one other like that uh, goes back to one of my dislikes, TJ. And this was the kicker for me. John Connor is. Uh, can we sound the spoiler horn? <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> okay. So John Connor. This is a spoiler, people. He's essentially made up of Hiro Hamada's microbots <laughs> when he's taken uh, over by the, yeah, the futuristic that. robots. That is funny. Yeah. It's like, what the heck is going on? And his well, entire flesh this- down to the, you know, the genetic level is replaced with a uh, microscopic microbots. This is what I go back to. when I say that James Cameron ruined this franchise. Every film feels, they feel like they have to top the liquid metal robots somehow. I, I agree. But the, and, and this particular attempt to top the liquid metal was so ridiculous that I just laughed when the sound effect of it and the visual effects of it basically were, you know, Disney's microbots from the movie hero (laughs) with the big hero six. You're right. You're absolutely right. I was like, what the heck are they doing? And they just, they just kept running with it. And I was like, wow, you didn't try to hide that at all. Did you, if anything, the only difference is that the, these, Microbots are incredibly small, yeah. <laughs> but it was in a way lame for that reason that there was no originality to it. But then at the same time, it's like, who doesn't like microbots? <laughs> uh, my problem here is TJ. This was where I was really frustrated with the studio. Why is John that? Connor? Why. John Connor is the bad guy, right? Yes. Okay. Did you know that before you went into the movie? No, no. I was that, as I mentioned earlier, I, when we were being more uh, alluding to it, and not saying it, I, I was completely taken by surprise, and I actually enjoyed that. I, okay. I thought I, did, that, I, yeah. I thought so too. I mean, like I uh, didn't really have a reason to bank on the idea that it mattered to me that John Connor had to be a protagonist. Well, but I, I, I guess it was just assumed because he always has been. John Connor was, has always yes, been a good guy. But but the way they went about changing him into a bad guy were like like John Connor did not become a bad guy. They they made John Connor into a robot and 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 a bad guy. Essentially. Yeah, it was sort of like John Locke in Lost being replaced by. See, the I evil I ha- you've just spoiled Lost for me. Not that I care because I'm never going to watch it because it was so boring. Um, <laughs> I I couldn't even get through the first season. It was so bad. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry, people, but if you weren't watching Lost already, if you hadn't seen that, you weren't going to watch nope, Lost. No, I agree. I don't care. So um, I really liked the way they uh, set the trap for and killed the T-1000. I, I but, really but enjoyed But before that. you go there, I'm not done with John Connor. Uh, <sighs> okay. Here's, here, here's my beef, TJ. The trailers didn't give it away. The movie I've heard that the, the be- trailers did. I was staying away from a lot of the later trailers. Okay, you know what? That's funny. That may have been. That may have happened. I I didn't really pay attention to the trailers. No, at a certain point, film. I stopped paying attention because I knew the film was going to be bad. You know, I didn't think about it one way or the other. I, I wasn't trying to avoid them. I just ended up not seeing them, so I I didn't care. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go see the movie. Who cares? I'm not going to look at the trailer to see if I'm interested. Right. Here was my problem. I was enjoying the movie and I really had to go to the restroom. I really did. Uh, and I know we have a policy on this podcast that we do not. You're not allowed to do movies. that, Joe. I'll have to fire you. Um, I had to do it, TJ. Um, so <sighs> I don't care if you're going to fire me or not. You're fired. <laughs> Get happening. out. Pack your bags. <laughs> but here's my problem. 
I'm exiting out of the theater room itself, the screening, right? I'm walking through the hall and I'm facing this small like corridor into the main hallway where I'm going to make a right turn, go down the hall and find the men's restroom. Right there in front of me is a huge display poster thing, life, uh, life-size poster boards of all the stars in the movie. Yes. Right there, plain as day, John Connor is a metal man under the flesh. Yes, I've heard that the posters did that. I was avoiding the posters. It was, it was weird well, not that purpose, they made but... it so plain. This guy is a robot underneath. Yes, and he didn't dumb. even appear in the movie in the way in which he did in this poster. Yeah, and the cat was out of the bag, and I hadn't even got to that scene yet. And I was, I was. That's floored. Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't have any sympathy for you. This is your fault. You should have gone to the bathroom. You should have gone. You should have taken your little self to the bathroom before you got into the theater and saw the movie. I did. <sighs> should have dehydrated yourself. I don't know. It's like my little kids. You always got to go to the bathroom at opportune times. <sighs> like a hundred episodes and I went to the bathroom twice and now I'm known as the guy who goes to the bathroom. I've never, I've never had to leave a theater to go to the bathroom during ever. Never. And you are dehydrated. I I take precautions, Joe. Mm. I always get my seat and I sit and I wait. and, And then five minutes before the lights dim, I run to the bathroom and I come back. Oh, okay. See, I run to the bathroom before, I go and then sit down and I end up sitting there for about 20 minutes before a movie starts. See, you're an amateur. You're rank amateur, Joe. I'm trying to get the authentic movie theater going experience so that I can report honestly to the listeners of the show because that's Mm. just what they are. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to relate to the everyday movie goer. Mm. Are we done here? I get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're done here. Okay. Why don't you uh, sum this film up and tell us your, your all your feels and give us a star rating? Yeah. Okay. So even though this was a fun and ridiculous, entertainingly ridiculous film that was just made up of interesting ideas that keep your attention span for the whole, what is it, two hours and 10 minutes? It, it, the, it had too many plot contrivances. I didn't care for what they were doing with the, uh, time travel. Back to the Future was, boy, way better. Uh, Days of Future Past was way better. Yes. Oh, man, it goes on and on. So many other better time travel stories. Yes. And uh, this doesn't live up to the reputation of Terminator 1 and 2. Not at all. It surpasses the other ones. And for that reason, I recommend you should still see it sometime. You don't have to see it in the theater. See it sometime if you enjoy Terminator movies but want to avoid 4 and 3 and whatever other films there are. Give it a shot, uh, but don't raise your expectations. Okay. Assume that this is what Hollywood is going to regard as canon for a while. Did you say what your star rating was? Three out of five stars. Okay. I um, I think this movie is absurd. Uh, I think that this movie had so much potential. And again, I thought that the overall idea of how they rebooted it and everything like provided such great opportunities. They had really good opportunities here and they blew it. Um, they, they just couldn't make a good film out of it and it's frustrating at the same time. I, I didn't, I was never bored. I did enjoy the film. Uh, as far yeah, that's as that one went. thing in its favor. It, even though I was seeing problems throughout the film, I wasn't truly disgusted by the film. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I'm going to be a little lower than you on my star rating though. And, and I, I think that if you're a fan of the previous Terminator films, you should see this at some point. 
Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger does make it worth it. He's getting like I enjoy him more now than I ever have. So I'm I'm gonna go with two and a half out of five stars. Okay, so half a star just for Arnold. Yes. Um, I'm I'm double checking. I don't think that's right. What we have in the show outline. Oh no, it is. IMDb users rate this film seven point oh out of ten. Really? Wow. <laughs> um, and then the critics on Rotten Tomatoes—they're not very happy. They're at a twenty-six percent uh, critic approval rating. The audience score is sixty-five percent on on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think going back to the high rating on IMDb, it was just what we kind of alluded to that this movie just works for people who want to have a fun film, even if it doesn't work. It's still entertaining. Yeah, sure. Just don't think about it too hard and you can enjoy it. All right. So that's uh, that's what we got for Terminator Genesis. That's what we have. That's all we have. Next week, we are probably going to be reviewing Ant-Man because I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that's what we should do. Um, what do you think, Joe? <laughs> sure. You're not uh, looking forward to it? Uh, why sh- should I? Yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> have you not seen the trailers? It looks fantastic. Uh, too many trailers. Uh, too I many trailers, you. TJ. Uh, all right. Anyway, Joe, uh, where can people keep up with you and any announcements we might make in regards to the things that we might be doing or T-shirts or whatever? Uh, they, I know they can do that. Uh, follow at MovieBite on Twitter. But where can they follow you? I am underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. And then I also have the other shows. I have a coffee podcast. It's called Top Brew. And it's available at iTunes. My technology podcast is called Tectonic, and that is T-E-C-H-T-O-N-I-C. Tonic, you know. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I'm having a lot of fun. Cool. Really enjoying the podcast medium. Yes, yes. I would say that Tectonic just keeps getting better and better. Oh, thank you. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that. Uh, You can go to twitter.com slash Pro and click on the little follow button there, Uh, and you can keep up with uh, things that are going on in my... uh, Uh, different various activities and things that I'm doing and possibly announcements about things that we're going to be doing in the future. So we'll see. Being pretty cryptic. Uh, So (laughs) if you want to follow me, do that there. Uh, You can find show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 144. That is where you'll find all the links for all the things that we talked about in this episode. That's also a great link for you to share with people if you want to uh, point them at this episode. moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 144. And that is all we have this week. Next week, we'll be back with our review of Ant-Man, and we will catch you then. Thanks for listening. See you, Joe. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.